Everybody standing at Arrowhead Stadium. Mariota with it. Looks, looks, drifts slap, running at the 10. Pumps, throws, end zone, knocked down. Caught by Mariota and in for the touchdown. Marcus Mariota threw it. It got knocked right back to him. He caught it and dove home for the score. Just like they drew it up. From the seven, shotgun snap on the goal to go. Here comes the rush. He throws a long pass, far sideline. It's an over-the-shoulder catch on the near pylon. Touchdown! Looking into the bright lights, makes the grab, and Jones, 25-13 Atlanta, late fourth quarter. Peterman looks to the far side, the throw, pucked up in the air. Interception attempt, Jalen Ramsey. He's got it, and it's over. The Jacksonville Jaguars defense gets it done. And the Jaguars survive. Newton, pressure comes. Newton in trouble. And Newton is sacked. Von Bell blitzing Cam Newton. Drops Newton to send the Saints off to the divisional round next weekend. Hello, welcome to the Gridiron Show in association with Touchdown Trips getting you Yes, you in the game. I have to say yes, you now. Otherwise, Ollie gets sad. I just combine the word otherwise and Ollie into a word. Ollie wise. Um, I don't know what Ollie wise would be, but well, do you know what's not Ollie wise, Matthew Sherry? Taking a skiing holiday in the middle of the playoffs. Absolute moron. <laughs> I, I say I say that as somebody who has done it me done it myself a few years ago, but I timed it so that I got back. Just, I kind of, I think I watched the first weekend of the playoffs at the skiing resort, which was the divisional round for me. And then I timed it, so I got back in time for the Sunday's uh, championship games. And and the thing is, Ollie was going to miss last Saturday. That was the original uh, situation that was going to happen. He was going to miss that one. And then he ended up... um, his flights got moved from Saturday to Sunday last weekend without him even knowing that was happening. So he was going to miss the wild card. He's now missing the divisional round, uh, but only the Saturday of which he'll be back in time for the Sunday for Jag Steelers. And I can't remember which way around the NFC games are now, whatever the Sunday game is. But yeah. Um, yeah, the Sunday games, New Orleans, Minnesota, which is easily the game of the week. So yeah, there he's you back go. for that. There you go. So he's back for that. But it's, I mean, it's to do with the fact that He's now, uh, you know, not just doing the podcast, but he's now actually employed as a job to be working on the uh, to be working on the NFL, and he's just, you know, peed off to the other side of the world. So brilliant work. Where where's he gone skiing? Uh, he's not gone to the other side of the world at all. He's gone somewhere in the Alps, I think. But yeah, of course. I mean, that that sounded. That's why I asked. I've I've been dramatic about it, but you are the king of that. So uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I right. So I have uh, I have two cats, Sherry, um, and one of them is incredibly affectionate, and the other one is kind of quite affectionate, but not really. Doesn't like not the sort of cat. He'd come and sit on the same sofa as you, but not actually on your lap. Today, on a day where I need to be set up with a bunch of recording equipment, he has decided to push the laptop off of my lap <laughs> and settle down directly on me. I'm literally going to send you a photo of how ridiculous. This situation has become. I can only half read my laptop because it is half off my lap while the cat is taking up the rest of the space. But of course, being a, a devoted animal owner, I haven't kicked him off at all. Get him off. It's farcical. No, buddy, and I would do that to you. When you first described the two cats, I was just it just made me think of how the two cats almost represent the two emotions that you generally get from your wife as well. <laughs> yeah, just about. <laughs> just about. That is very much the case. Uh he knows I'm talking about him now, giving me daggers. Uh pure anger. Um <laughs> coming up on this show today we're going to be talking about a wild wild card weekend. I think all of us must have gone two and two in our playoff predictions this weekend. I rather boldly said that I thought that they were such bad matchups for the road teams that I would pick all four home teams, even if they flipped the fixtures and they were all on the road last weekend. Uh, how well that worked out for me. Um, I also upset a lot of Titans fans. We'll get into that. Uh, and uh, we will discuss, we'll discuss the games. But normally what we do at this time of year is we take a little look at what's happening beyond the games. So... We'll preview the weekend's games and the the divisional round uh, in a show later in the week. But in this show, we're going to look at what's going to happen next for the Chiefs, the Bills, the Panthers 
and the Rams um, and kind of look at who's got the brightest future, what they need to do in this offseason to make sure that they go at least a stage further, if not all the way next season. Um, but the reason we're going to do that kind of later in the week show is, of course, on Thursday, we're going to be joined on the show by, by Mark Waller, by OCU Manura, probably some Alistair Kirkwood. Maybe Daniel Levy, if I can nick a couple of minutes with him before he has to quote-unquote dash off. Um, because on Thursday afternoon at 3.45, we are getting the announcement of the London Games for 2018. It's, it's exciting. So, sorry, I was, just, I was just lost thinking about the cats and how we could replace Kate Watch with Cat Watch once the season ends. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's an, ex- it's an exciting time. I mean, I'm kind of very much indebted to you for the for the room and will will but we're, we're hopeful and and i think reasonably optimistic that this is going to be potentially the most exciting slate of games that we've seen in recent years it, do you know what, it's a funny one i, I kind of revealed on the show a couple of weeks ago that i have an idea of the the, the number of games etc but um I, they've kept their cards closer to their chest than ever before with these games i mean even in situations that we wouldn't normally discuss on the podcast where, you know, we've got a friend within the organization or someone who, you know, friend of a friend or whatever, who would normally give the games away on the provision that it doesn't suddenly pop up on our social media, which is good for us because it means we can pre-write articles and we can make sure that we're ready to go and we've got graphics and everything else. Those normal sources are saying, look, this year I just can't give anything away. I think it's it's partially to do with the fact that you've got the new stadiums and the exact logistics of all of that is one thing. But but also I think the fact that they are they do look like from what I what little information we've been able to glean, there's gonna be at least a couple of teams that people are really excited about coming over. Um, I, I think that combine the announcement later this week with the upcoming tour, with still a really exciting slate of games to come over the next uh, three weeks, next four weeks with six brilliant games. It's, uh, it, it's going to be a time of high excitement, mostly. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I mean, I also, I, I mean, depend on how many games there is, I, I don't think we can rule out a scenario where we, and this is from no information other than the fact that they very nearly did it a couple of years ago, um, where because the logistics are getting so tough, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a number of games now and then maybe one other tagged on after the Super Bowl. Because I know, Will, we were at the Super Bowl two years ago and they very nearly got Carolina over, didn't they? Because we were talking about how it would have been Cam Newton and they'd just been at the Super Bowl. So maybe there's a potential situation where it becomes a split announcement. But that is... Complete speculation on my part, and I am. Um, there's no information I have that suggests that that's going to be the case. Just, just so people, just talk. ludicrously high-level speculation. I mean, of the of the rumours, of the uninformed rumours, the things that seem to be getting the most weight are things like. Uh, a team doing two games back-to-back, which for a long time we've expected to be the Jaguars, but you've had the Chargers telling their fans when they've attempted to renew season tickets that they're go- only going to be seven home games next season. The Rams have said that they're playing in uh, in Mexico, which puts a bit paid to the idea we might get Packers-Rams next year, which I think was a, a game a lot of people were high on because they've been so determined to get the Packers here for a long time. And actually, if there's one team who can say, well, you know, we're not as bothered about the home gate for the Packers game as we are about getting out there and doing Wembley. That's that's one game, though. That would work. But the Rams have said they're playing in Mexico. That does open an opportunity for the Raiders to come and play in the UK. So will it be the Raiders doing back-to-back games, doing charges on the road and then they're themselves at home against one of their very exciting home slate, which includes both the Steelers and the Eagles? I mean, if the Raiders have given up a home game to come to London, they can only protect one of those two games. That's generally the rule. Um, and so, you know, immediately you've got a, an exciting top tier playoff team coming to the UK. I think even though we can't confirm anything or, or you know, anything is, is 100% at the moment, there's a lot of connotations that make this all look uh, very exciting. Yep, absolutely. Can't yep. wait till Thursday. And, uh, is, so is this going to be a three pod week, Will, or are we doing two? No, it'll be a two-pod week. I'm, uh, I've been far too busy over Christmas and New Year's. I've got two days off now, in which time I've got to clear all of the crap out of my back room, measure it for a new bed, buy a new bed, build a new bed, put new skirting board in, and maybe strip some wallpaper and do some painting as well. That's all meant to happen yeah. in the next two days. You're pretty good at the old DIY, aren't you? It's well, none well. of that is going to happen. I will measure right. up the skirting board and the bed. I might buy the bed. 
I might fit the skirting board. That that is really at a push though. So yeah, I've I mean, got, I... I've got a lot to do. Fine. Personal Two life takes over this. sometimes. Two pods it is. And with this pod we originally wanted to do yesterday and just a farcical number of delays has really pushed it back, Matt Sherry. It has, but I'm always here, raring to go, so let's oh, do yeah. it. They were all entirely from my end, of course. Yeah, they were, as always. I mean, <laughs> that is it, never mind. Um, right, let's, uh, let's talk about this weekend's games. We'll also talk as well about Matt Nagy becoming the Bears' new head coach. We've already talked about Gruden, although that has now been confirmed. Um, let's start off with the Titans and the Chiefs. The Minnesota Titans come... Minnesota Titans? Who are they? The... the <laughs> My brain is fried. The Tennessee Titans uh, came back from a 21-3 halftime deficit with three second-half touchdowns, including one that Marcus Mariota threw to himself to claim a 22-21 win over the Chiefs. But there, there is an argument here, Matt Sherry, that as much as the Titans looked better than we've seen them look in at least the last five or six weeks in that second half, uh, the Chiefs have to take some responsibility for throwing this one away. Yeah, I mean, the Chiefs did everything in their power to gift them the game, didn't they? I mean, I've never seen an injury have such a catastrophic effect on a team as Travis Kelsey's did on their their whole offence, really. And the Titans are maybe the worst team I've ever seen win a playoff game. And, I mean, for me, the only positive for them, other than the fact that they won, uh, the only one after Kansas City repeatedly gifted them, and did fairness to try to hand it back to them, is the fact that Marcus Mariota looked like the guy we thought he'd be when he entered the league, the guy he looked like he could be the first couple of years. And the reason for that was they went up tempo, they spread it out, and that's his game. So it's all well and good trying to protect him from injuries. You don't want to protect him at the expense of him being a good player. So... Do they have a chance against the Patriots? Almost certainly not. But if they do put them in that situation, it could be slightly more competitive than people think. But to me, it's a, the whole game as a Titans fan. Great to win a playoff game, but if it means Mike Malarkey's back, and it will, and you can blame the offensive coordinator all you want, but Mike Malarkey is not a good head coach in any way, shape or form. So having him back where Josh McDaniels was out there and, and really that probably would have been the most appealing job to him will ultimately be a negative, I think, for the yeah. Titans. Yeah, well, that's what I put out into the world. I said, make no mistake, this is bad news for Titans fans. And they did not like that at all because for them, they haven't been to the playoffs in eight years. You know, the only droughts longer than that were of the Bills, Jags and, and, and Rams. But they hadn't been to the playoffs in eight years. They won their first game. They did it in amazing fashion to come back. And I understand in the moment you want to enjoy the victory. But it's in the enjoyment of the victory that you should be really concerned because what happened in that second half was Marcus Mariota was allowed to have a lot more freedom with the offense. They went no huddle a lot more because they were obviously working against the clock. He made a lot of play calls at the line. And what's always impressed me about Mariota from day one coming out of Oregon is the knock on him was going to be that Chip Kelly Oregon system does not suit the NFL. And yet... He picked up the pro system so quickly. It was absolutely ridiculous how quickly in his first season he was looking like a pro-style quarterback, considering where he'd come from. And from everything you heard, he was, uh, you know, uh, an absolute bookworm. He was a, a real study case. He really, really worked hard to make sure that he was, you know, going to be able to make that jump and make it quickly. What you saw in the second half is what you could get from Marcus Mariota. He showed brilliant, uh, brilliant instincts at the line obviously you had the ridiculous fluke play with the catching his own touchdown but even so the instincts to do that were amazing the block he threw for the Derrick Henry run to to ice the game at the end showed incredible toughness everything about Marcus Mariota there is to like and he's been completely stymied by the way they've played football not developed at all and it it just made me more frustrated now the defense was good Dick LeBeau Dick, Dick called LeBeau. the blinder turned that round incredibly well and is the one member of the staff that comes out of it with, with real credit for me. But, I mean, just to pick up on your point on Derek Henry as well, I mean, I've had some arguments with Titans fans on Twitter as well over the last couple of days from the Gridiron account. For those who wonder, game day's tweeting is probably me. Um, <laughs> game day's angry tweet tweeting is mostly you. It is, yeah. So, 
I mean, they want to blame the offensive coordinator, but at the end of the day, he is Mike Malarkey's offensive coordinator. If a head coach sees a problem in their operation, they should fix it. So you can't just blame the coordinator. It's ultimately his problem. And also, I mean, what does it take to go up to the guy and say, look, DeMarco Murray is basically finished as a as even a mid-tier running back. Derek Henry has the potential to be a top-tier one. We need to use him. They've never done that at any point in the season. Now, maybe it's because he isn't a great, great pass protector. But you know what? Just go get a third down back. There's plenty of third down backs that you can get. Put Derek Henry on the field first and second down, particularly if you're going to run the ball. Use him in play action and everything else. There will have to be some pass protection, but limit it as best you can. Put more protection in if you need to. But in terms of running the ball, everybody has known all season he's been their best back. And to see him break out with 150-odd yards and make some really amazing runs at the end of the game to, to finish it off, for me, it's just a what-could-have-been scenario or what-could-be scenario for the Titans. But this farcical head coach comes back and, and in a division that is going to be insanely tough next year. And to me, I think Tennessee fans, I understand enjoying the win, but... I personally would rather put the long-term future of the franchise first, and it doesn't look healthy with with Mike Malarkey in charge. Um, We will talk, obviously, more about that team as we go forward, and actually, I think there are... They are going to be opening as the most ridiculous uh, underdogs in a playoff game I've seen in a long time, but you know, there's some reason for optimism in New England. I don't think they win, but I think there are elements of what they do on defense which could cause Brady some consternation and, and might be a closer game than people expect. But that's for the later in the week podcast. What we really need to talk about is the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, Andy Reid has thrown away two 18-point-plus playoff leads now uh, in his time there and seems to be a guy that, whilst we all think he's a, a brilliant head coach... There's something about that big occasion where it's just not been working for them. They went, the Travis Kelsey injury obviously caused them real problems, but they did go super conservative. They changed up what the offense was doing in the second half. Kareem Hunt was not able to control the the time of possession and and make the, the yardage he needed to make. Some of the play calls were a little bizarre and, he's now losing Matt Nagy to the to the Bears and we're probably going to be seeing Alex Smith move on and the move to Pat Mahomes and it suddenly becomes a, a really kind of wide open conversation about what the Chiefs are going to look like next season. Yeah, it does. I mean, the problem with Andy Reid is he reverts to type in these tight situations and I mean, type for him is not, not giving the ball to the runner back. He prefers to throw the ball and have short passes as his running game. Um, type to him is terrible game management that really is going to undermine a potential Hall of Fame coaching career because um, he's done it so many times in so many big spots. and It's like Groundhog Day, isn't it? I mean, it's not good. And I mean, people clear, Chicago clearly think that Matt Nagy wasn't calling the players in the second half because if he was, then you would question the, the quickness of him getting a head coaching job. And I've just saying that the Colts apparently were desperate to give him their job as well, but concerns over Andrew Luck and the lure of Trubisky is the reason he's gone to Chicago. So I think it's a problem. I mean, it's not that much of a problem because Andy Reid is still probably one of the best five, six, seven coaches of the NFL. He needs to look at it, though. I mean, do they get somebody in to control the clock for him? I never understand why more coaches don't do that anyway. But listen... He's been really good for the Chiefs overall. Um, you could say that they're not getting over the hump, but what, what were they before he got there? It's a difficult one. And I mean, the terrifying part to me is that he is, in terms of overall resume, the second best coach in the NFL or second most accomplished. And certainly the one below Belichick who's closest to the Hall of Fame. So let that sink in for a moment when you're thinking about the coaching in the NFL. Um, the The... The Matt Nagy thing, we may as well cover it now, I think is a a really interesting option for the Bears because if he was calling the plays in the second half, that was a problem. But what he has done there with Alex Smith is, is turn him from just the pure game manager he was when he turned up to having at least one Pro Bowl season back in 2013 with the team and, and a really good playoff performance there. Um, he, he, you know, 
had a season this year where at times he was in the MVP conversation. I think if you take his six or seven best games of the year, they're up there with the best of his career. And I think that Nagy had a lot to do with that. And I think Mitchell Trubisky, from what we've seen of him, is, is almost like an Alex Smith type. It's not going to have the 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 big skills you need to to go out there and and really you know he's, he's never going to have that arm strength to to turn you into a, a downfield offense. He's never going to be the 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 real quick at the line guy who reads defenses phenomenally. But he can be a really good high high mid level quarterback and. Maybe that's for the reason, that's kind of, they see what he's done with Alex Smith and they say that's why he's the choice there. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think before that game it made sense. I mean, there was some concern and things in that game, but if if you believe in the guy, one bad game of play call and not one half, no matter how big a situation, shouldn't put you off. So, yeah, it's an intriguing hire. It's clearly copying the Sean McVeigh mould of going finding the youngest, brightest offensive mind you can and we'll see if it works for Chicago. Where do you think Alex Smith is next season? He should be. I mean, the Jacksonville Jaguars should be barraging doors down to get him. Like, honestly, he would be absolutely perfect in Jacksonville. I mean, and then after that, any team that needs a quarterback, because of the veteran ones, he's certainly the the safest pick, I think. Um, But Jacksonville would be a great spot for him. Yeah, I agree. Big. Uh, I think that's a really good shout. I think uh, there, there are a, f- a few other quarterback needy teams that, that will come into the conversation uh, going forwards. And, and uh, you know, somewhere like Buffalo, for example, where I think they are going to be looking for another quarterback. I'm not sure Alex Smith is the right option there because I think what you're going to need in Buffalo is someone who, if you're going to go away from Tyrod, I think Tyrod already is an Alex Smith type, um, doesn't give the ball away regularly makes enough plays but leaves some on the field. I think Alex Smith is a better quarterback than Tyrod, but I don't think it's... He's a, be- he's a better version of him as a passer and probably a lesser version of him as a runner, isn't he? Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. And I think Alex Smith is a decent runner as well. But, you know, in that cold, in that frigidity, you needing a Jim Kelly massive arm type guy in order to to really move your offense on from what it's doing at the moment. So I think there are there are lots of question marks in and around where that's going to happen. But you're and, absolutely right. Uh, Alex Smith and Eli Manning every day of the week for me. For yeah, uh, another, another option is Denver. I mean, what I would personally do if I was a quarterback needy team, be a Cleveland, Denver, the Jaguars, any of these teams, but particularly the ones at the top of the draft, if I could draft a guy in the top five and sign Alex Smith at the same time, that would be the perfect scenario for me because he's done it with Mahomes this year. He's a good veteran guy who can, and and a better than good player. So it's whether you could, I mean, and you can persuade him to do it as well. You don't have to tell him that you're going to draft a quarterback as well. So for me, that's what I'd be doing if I was a quarterback needy team. I'd be, I'd be, trading away a second round pick for Alex Smith and I'd be drafting a guy with the first pick and then you've addressed your quarterback needs for both now and the future immediately. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. Um, Let's move on and talk about the second game from the weekend, the Atlanta Falcons banishing those concerns of a playoff hangover from last year with a, a pretty dominant performance it ended up being in Los Angeles. They forced the LA Rams to punt, I think, on their first five straight possessions uh, through a quarter and a half. Uh, Jared Goff had minus three yards. This explosive Rams offense did not get going. And then they came out in the second half and they ran this amazing nine-minute-odd drive to start the half and they kept the ball out of Los Angeles's hands. And... Uh, they did everything we kind of said that they would have to do if it was going to be the performance that they would need to in order to progress. They kind of played the perfect game and, and managed the perfect game. And sometimes their coaching has been a concern in that area. But I think overall, the Falcons really played it perfectly. Yeah, they did. I mean, and it, this could finally be the game that, that, that removes the Super Bowl from them. And... I mean, they're so talented. Their defense is insanely talented. It's so fast. It's so difficult to play against. That's what the Patriots found out. It's massively on the rise as well. It's a unit that's getting better every week at the moment. Um, The only thing I would say on this game that makes me think Atlanta still... I think they'll get to the championship game, but I think they'd lose on the road there, is 
ultimately, they were spotted 13 points by the Rams at the start of the game, and that's what they ultimately won the game by as well. Um, it was just too big a moment for the Rams, and particularly for Goff. I mean, he made some nice throws. He's got a really good arm, but he doesn't read defences yet, and you can see that. And soon as they took away the screen game to Gurley, which they did early in the game, it looked like a college offence for a lot of that game. And and that's the problem. Once you get into these playoff games against really fast defences with small windows, as a quarterback, no matter how good your coach is, you've got to just go out there and get it done yourself. And uh, Jared Goff is not there yet. But, and but, but there were moments. There was a, a pass into yeah. Robert Woods for a first down, which he threw into an insanely tight window at the sideline. Yeah, he, he and, has got, he's got an unbelievably good arm, but I just think the rest of it isn't quite there yet. And it's not going to be there yet because... He'll be compared to Carson Wentz, but he's a year behind Carson Wentz because of the farce of the coaching staff that he was working with in year one and the fact that Wentz has had the continuity of two years. So, listen, for me, if I'm a Rams fan, you're way ahead of schedule. I mean, you'd like to have won a playoff game, but you really, really are ahead of schedule and the future looks bright. So I wouldn't take too much of a negative from it. And Atlanta, despite being the sixth seed, is a hugely talented sixth seed who... Listen, I think they'll win in Philadelphia this week. I think there'd be a that there a chance to get back to the Super Bowl as well. So I, I don't think there's any negatives for either team to be taken from the game. Yeah, and and this is it. We we're talking a little bit about what we think the teams that are knocked out need to do going forward. There there are some interesting conversations on uh, with the Rams uh, in terms of contracts. Tremaine Johnson, I had no idea two years ago why they gave him the franchise tag. He's really proven me wrong over the two years as being a really good choice. I think, is is he Desmond Trufant? Is he Marshawn Lattimore after this year? Is he a guy who can really be not just a, a man cover, not just a travelling corner, but also a shutdown corner? I'm not sure he's there. Is he at the very top of the second tier? Is he a guy who can travel? Is he a, a good number one corner? Yeah, absolutely. And that's very hard to find nowadays. So you need to tie him down to a long-term deal. Um, they worked so well when they were working on the kind of multiple-level concepts where they were sending a guy deep, a guy at the mid-level, a guy across. And, and they are going to be losing like unless they can tie him down to a, a longer-term deal. And I don't know if they want to spend the sort of money that's going to cost when actually within that scheme, you could imagine them drafting a guy in the third, fourth, fifth round as long as it's someone they're, they're high on and they think fits that would work. So there are personnel decisions to be made. But overall, and actually, do you know what? I think they need to consider already. Andrew Whitworth has come in and made an insane level impact. And actually... That that line from middle to left, John Sullivan, Roger Saffold, Andrew Whitworth, they've been brilliant, but they are all older guys. That's the other area to potentially be looking at in the draft. Do we need to start thinking now about what we do, not this year, but in two years' time? Because guess what? You bring in a high-level left tackle. So many of them we see come into the league and struggle from the beginning because the style of the college game just doesn't set them up well to start off as pros. Get a high-level left tackle working under Andrew Whitworth for two years. That seems like the perfect school of uh, of preparation for the NFL to me. Yeah, it absolutely does. And I mean, listen, the the Rams have have some cap room as well. The problem they've got on on the things that you mentioned is they have to pay Aaron Donald this year. Oh, that like, of course. I, I, I was like, there's somebody else. I'm sure. Oh wait, it's Aaron Donald. But I mean, yeah, so so that I mean that that has the that is definitely going to be the biggest defensive contract of all time, isn't it? So they're going to have to put that on the books. But they have like 50 million. Tavon Austin will obviously get cut. Um, so I think they can save a bit there. Um, so and, yeah, the interesting off season ahead. I mean, what you would say is that. You love what they did personnel-wise in McVeigh's first year in that they signed guys to fit the new schemes, and that's a great sign for me because Les Steed has remained in the job and he's managed to, to draft and sign players that fit what McVeigh wants to do. So, listen, I think the signs are great for the Rams in, in every facet. Um, on the, the point of that um, Mo, uh, Aaron Donald uh, uh, contract situation, um, Sam Farmer, who obviously friend of the show, has been on a few times um, since he started covering a team more on a week in, week out basis, has become very, very good on Twitter. A really good follow. 
um, kind of like a, a less angry John McClane. But um, <laughs> as he pointed out, and when you watch it, they showed a bunch of slow motion replays on the TV of Aaron Donald just wrecking that Falcons interior line. And when they really stayed in it and had a chance of coming back, Aaron Donald was keeping that team in it when the Falcons were looking like much the better team. They did not look, those replays did not show a, a good look on the officiating. Aaron Donald is literally held on every single play. Yeah, absolutely. And still unstoppable. It's, uh... Yeah, I think all in all, the Rams have the most positive future of those teams. Right, let's talk Jags-Bills. Not a game we need to talk about in any huge amount of depth. Uh, they gave out a brilliant stat on the uh, around the NFL show about how there was 800, over 800 net yards of punting in this game, um, which is just ludicrous. Uh, from a Jags perspective, great defense. We've been saying that all year, continue to be great. Uh, made some outstanding plays. Are you going to go and get five takeaways from Ben Roethlisberger again like you did back in October? I'm not so sure. This is going to be a really tough matchup. The fact that Blake Bortles ran for more yards than he threw for really indicates (laughs) how they're planning to try and play these playoffs. Um, I just think the Steelers' defensive line was not... It really didn't contain Leonard Fournette last time. I think it was his, one of his biggest games of the year. I think they that's been a unit that's got better and better and better as the year's gone on, even if the pass rush hasn't got better. So I think they're going to have real problems against the Steelers this weekend, the Jags. Yeah, I mean, they're going to have real problems if they have the same game plan and offense because it was a farce. I mean, it was an absolute joke. That, And you could argue that the ends justify the means, but the, the only reason they won the game was because of some broken plays and scrambles. I mean... I, I, I really don't know what they were thinking with the game plan. Um, I thought after the Arizona game, the penny had dropped in that. Listen, if balls is bad, he's bad, but you, you've got to try and put the... If you're going to run the ball repeatedly, you have to p- push the ball downfield. It's it's not rocket science. You need to clear the box for running lanes. So that's what they did after that game. And actually, the, they went the other way a bit and threw the ball a lot more. But... You can't run the ball and then throw a series of screen passes and expect to move the ball on offense, especially against a, a zone, well-drilled, good tackle and builds defense. It was absolutely ridiculous, the game plan. I mean, honestly, I was infuriated by a lot of things this week, and this was absolutely number one on the list because it just doesn't make any sense at all. It Run the ball. Throw the ball downfield on play action. It's not difficult, is it, as a formula? Especially once you get past the 50-yard line because you're not moving the ball anyway. So even if you're throwing deep passes that get intercepted, it's just like putting anywhere. So, listen, they need to change their game plan if they're going to beat the Steelers. You can't give the Steelers the amount of possessions that you give the Bills at home and expect to win. So let's just see how they come out, but... If they adopt the same game plan, then they might as well not turn up. It was it was crazy. What's really fun, uh, funny as well is that during that three-week stretch where Bortles did look like a good quarterback, uh, he was getting some surprisingly high-level play out of the likes of, um, well, maybe not surprisingly high out of Marquis Lee. I, I think I like Marquis Lee as a guy. But yes, Salmond. Keelan Cole, D.D. Westbrook, Jaden Mickens all had big games over that three-week stretch. And they've all had two pretty bad weeks between drops, between fumbles, between uh, muffed punts, the lot of them. They have had some real issues in that area. Oh, by the way, that's the one thing we didn't talk about with the Rams-Falcons game. If I was going to pick a special teams player of the week, uh, and uh, everyone's going to talk about Matt Bryant and those long field goals, well done to the Falcons for recognising just what an issue uh, Farrow Cooper is a returner. Getting aggressive with him with their gunner early on and really shutting him down. And, 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 and the thing is as well, I mean, the guy, I think the guy was a pro ball or all pro special team returner this year. I mean, all pro. That, he was the, the first choice all pro returner. Yeah, it was. that was pretty incredible. I mean, yeah, I, but, I am really... Yeah, sorry, my point on the Jags, just to finish on that, my point on the Jags is that they are going to have Alan Robinson back next year. That is going to make a difference. I still think they need another quality pass catcher with whoever their next quarterback who comes in is. But when we come round to talking about what the Jags need to do next year, and, you know, God love them. We hope that's in two weeks' time or four weeks' time, even rather, next week. I'm not so sure it will be. 
<laughs> well, you want the Jags to beat? You want the Titans to go to the Super Bowl? I'm very confused, Matt Sherry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I, I think that yeah that that will be. There are a lot of positives to take from this, um, but there were some real issues at the weekend, and and also as well on Bortles. As ridiculous as this sounds. The screen pass is probably the, the pass he throws worst. And, and I know that sounds insane, but it's absolutely true. He doesn't throw short passes well, as in really short passes. So why do it? Why do it? It made no sense. And honestly, the, the only thing I would say on this game, it got a really bad rap on Twitter. And at one point I tweeted out, like, it was still way better than Kansas City, Tennessee, in that there was still at least two dominant, very good units on the field. Because the Bills' defense in its own way is very good as well. It's well-drilled. It's a great scheme. You know, it's a good defense. So it just so happened that the both good units were facing complete ineptitude on the other side of the ball. But it made for a tight game. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and Tyrod Taylor, we've talked about briefly with Alex Smith. I've been one of the defenders of Tyrod Taylor, but I think if you're Likewise. Team, he's probably going to elevate to the next level. I think we saw really his limitations. I mean, but you, you say that, I mean, again, this, I mean, people were comparing Tyrod Taylor and, and balls, but Taylor was going against easily the best defense in the NFL. And as much as I've just said, Buffalo's is good. It isn't, it isn't anywhere near as good as Jacksonville's. And also who's he throwing the ball to? I yeah. mean, Kelvin Benjamin's got, basically on one leg. Charles Clay's his most reliable receiver. I mean, he's not really awash with weapons either, is he? So, listen, I didn't think he had a good game, and it was obviously fairly difficult conditions for quarterbacking, but the Jags' defence has pulled a worse performance at, ho- at home out of Ben Roethlisberger this season, and Ben Roethlisberger's thrown to the best cast of, of talent in the NFL. So, I, I think it's harsh to to criticise on the basis of that game. Yeah, but I do think that it re- it did show up yet again. Too many throws left on the field, and not just that, but too many off-target throws. There were three or four occasions where he had a guy open. If he hits him in stride, there's a first down, there's a good gain, there's even the breakaway, and he's just throwing behind them. He's throwing two highs. He's just not an accurate passer, and that, unfortunately, when you're a quarterback, just like we've seen with Blake Bortles, that is a real problem. I think he looks after the ball better than Bortles does. I think he doesn't make as many terrible decisions as Bortles does, which elevates him above Bortles, but I think he still has the inaccuracy problems. I just think he knows his limitations sometimes and goes, not going to throw that one, probably going to get picked. He threw one bad pick in this game, and he had one, the Jalen Ramsey one, which was just a ridiculous defensive play, not only to get in and break the, the, not not just the close speed to get in and break the pass up but then to dive and make that catch as well incredible oh, that, that was that was Peterman won it oh was that when Peterman was in yeah well there you go well, wasn't, that, wasn't that the last play of the game it very yeah. much could have been when Peterman was in I don't remember <laughs> it was the last play of the game wasn't it it that, must that have was been Peterman. it must but, have been but um they, I mean they, just on the Jags again like the Jags could cause both the Patriots and the Steelers some problems if they, if they play both of them. Like, some huge problems, I think. But they can't coach and play scared. They've got to go for it. And whatever happens, happens. But to me, I mean, if it wasn't for... I mean, I love Sean McDermott. I think he's done a great job. They massively botched the end of the first half. There were some other coaching things that they botched in the game. If it wasn't for those and a couple of bottle scrambles, they almost certainly would have lost. Uh, a game that they absolutely should win. Uh, now, Dennison's, uh, Rick Dennison's play calling was also a problem. Um, Sean McDermott is a defensive coach, as we're fully aware of. That could be something else they look at this offseason, whether they move him on. Uh, you mentioned the supporting cast already. Um, there, is an, uh, there is an issue with this, um, with this defense, though, I think, and that's the pass rush. Because they've got this line, which is... It's a deep defensive line without having any or much real top-tier talent to it. I mean, they moved on Marcel Darius, and there are all sorts of reasons that, that they claim to do that. But And he's more of a run defender regardless, but he can be disruptive up the middle. There's not a huge amount off the edge there that gets me excited for the idea they're going to get to the quarterback. They've basically got two very average defensive lines, which means they can rotate in and do some interesting stuff with them. 
but they don't get to the quarterback, and that could be somewhere they look early in the draft is um, yeah. is pass rush. But I mean, considering that the, what they did in the off season with stripping some of the talent off that team in favour of kind of a culture and and getting the right type of guys, they had an unbelievable season. Brilliant. I mean, one of the best seasons of, of any team in the NFL by by a good distance. So I, I think that. If I'm a Bills fan, I've never been more excited. You pay to have the right head coach, a head coach who's working well in unison with his GM, who obviously he knows well. So I would expect them to fix some of those areas. And, and as you say, pass rush would probably be top of the list along with maybe quarterback. And I didn't look this stat up beforehand. I've just looked it up while we're talking. Third fewest sacks in the NFL and yep. by far the lowest amongst the NFL's 12 playoff teams. So yep. there you go. Which, which, again, illustrates how good the coaching job was. Yeah, and then that's what we do have to say, and we said this on the build-up show last week. When you consider all those stats about that team this year, actually, they they were coached brilliantly because when you've got minus 57-point differential and any game you're having to win, you're having to win tight, then you need to be well-coached, and I think that's a real positive for them going forward. Um the Panthers going into this offseason, well, uh, the, I don't know if you saw the times Picoin uh, article, um, but the uh, the line they went with after their after their loss in New Orleans was, the Panthers already have a new owner, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. the Saints. Oh, superb. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, they were very nearly rubbing that off at the end, but um, yeah, this was a great game, wasn't it? I mean, I thought this was... If they'd have finished it off, this was Cam Newton's best performance, certainly since the MVP season and maybe ever. I mean, I thought I thought Newton was great in the game. I mean, I, I saw, I think, Greg Brady, obviously, you have a great relationship with because of the talk sports stuff, criticised him on Twitter. But, I mean, again, who was he throwing the ball to? I mean, listen, I thought this was a great game between two very good teams. Yeah, and... and, and... The Panthers, I mean, the, the Saints have had their number this year, but actually what's interesting is the Saints, I thought, were much more dominant in their two regular season victories. And actually the Panthers came into that game. They really shut down Alvin Kamara. They really shut down that Saints run game. And if it wasn't for an inspired performance from Drew Brees, um, then, then actually this this could have easily been a Panthers win. They, they, did, they were well coached in this game. We're talking about good coaching. And actually, they came out with the right approach all round. Um, they just got beaten by a brilliant Drew Brees and, and a Saints defence, which has a couple of players in it that are just defensive player of the year candidates. Yeah, I mean, Cam Jordan is is just insane. I mean, and I'm biased because I, I absolutely love the guy. I think he's one of the nicest people I've ever met and just a wonderful man, but a great, great player. And I mean, a great player who came up with the big sack when needed in this game. To me, if I'm a Saints fan, that the huge positive is how good Breeze looked, especially throwing the ball down the field, which is an area where we we thought maybe there's a bit of regression. But now I'm starting to look at it and think, well, maybe the Saints have, have had this running game, they've leaned on it, they've leaned on their defence. And now 39 years old, Drew Breeze is as fresh as he could possibly be entering a postseason. And, and if that's the case and he can repeat this performance, listen, the Saints are scary, the scariest team in the NFL, if that's the case. I mean, it's, it's exciting times for Saints fans. The only thing I would say is he obviously knows Carolina's defence really well. And it was interesting to see him get the better of Luke Keekley on a, on a few throws, particularly that one down the right sideline where Keekley didn't have enough depth, I think, in his drop at the end of the game. So that, to me, is, is a familiarity thing. And I think he would struggle more against a worse defence that he hasn't seen as often because a great quarterback, if they know what you're doing, they're going to pick you apart. So I, think, I don't think Breeze is as good as he looks against that defence, but... I think he's maybe better at this point of his career than I thought he was a week ago, which is a huge positive for the Saints. Yeah, uh, 100%. And going up against the Vikings, and again, we'll do a more in-depth breakdown of this later in the week, but going up against the Vikings, uh, they they are the most balanced offense in the NFL right now, potentially going up against the most balanced defense, who can do it all. Both sides of the ball can do it all, and that matchup... Oh, Lordy, that matchup this weekend <laughs> is going to be one that I cannot wait for. And, and yeah, both sides of the ball, I, I, I'm really excited about. Um, 
Yeah, Newton, Newton was an interesting one for me because it wasn't as bad as some of the Cam Newton we've seen this season. And he is a guy who from week to week can wildly vary from looking like the guy who won the 2015 MVP to somebody who overthrows guys, who again leaves throws on the field, who relies too much on his legs. I didn't think he had a terrible game at all. And and actually, I think they've started to work out a way to use Christian McCaffrey in that offense more and more as the season's gone on. I think that the Panthers, if you want to look at improvement from last season to this, have made big leaps forward. Um, there are still things they need to do in this offseason. And obviously, it's a massive, massive issue uh, that they are looking to be sold and what that's going to do for their future and how the new owners going to come in and want to make changes. And will the GM have you know uh, the right to do exactly what they want to do, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They did extend Ron Rivera um, through the 2020 season, uh, even before this game happened. Um, but... And I think Ron Rivera is the most underrated coach in the NFL at this point. I mean, he's done a great job, hasn't he? Consistently. But they also don't have a permanent GM yet. I mean, Marty Herney's been in that interim job now since, what, July? When they fired Dave Gettleman. In that time, they've not managed to hire a full-time GM yet. Dave Gettleman's gone and found himself another job. Yeah. I mean, I think Herney definitely keeps his job this year, doesn't he? So, yeah, you are right, though, that... The, there are changes afoot, and it's interesting to see how, how that goes. But to me, there are a couple of good pass rushers and, and probably a, a new big running back away from, from being from being good. I mean, their offensive line still isn't great, but they seem to be one of those teams who accept that they can mask that slightly with a running quarterback. And I think the year on the whole has been really positive for Cam. I really do. I think he is he's been a lot, lot better than he was last season. And, yeah, I, I think that the, the Panthers can the win a Super Bowl with Cam Newton. I definitely think that they can. I think they're a really, a really dangerous team who had the beat the Saints this week would be right in there as, with a chance to get to the Super I, Bowl. I do again. think I still find the Kelvin Benjamin, and maybe there was a contract thing, and maybe there was a, a, a personality and a, a locker room fit issue, but... I still think Cam Newton, when he's got two or three big-bodied guys, the nature of his delivery, the power of his throw, that I think those big-bodied guys suit him stylistically. And they should be potentially looking at... Because Greg Olsen can't keep playing forever, particularly after the injuries we've seen him have this year. So a bit, another big-bodied receiver, I think, wouldn't be a bad idea. I, I mean, I'd like to see them go the other way. I'd like to see them get another big-bodied guy to replace also. But you got to remember, Cam started his career with a very good rapport with Steve Smith, who, I mean, listen, any quarterback would love Steve Smith. He was a great player. But I, I think that they actually lack somebody like him who's a little bit smaller, more of a possession, possession guy as well. Um, and obviously they're trying to use McCaffrey as that guy and maybe he becomes more of that guy than kind of the gadget player that he is but I just think that a really good quality possession receiver will be good as well Absolutely Um, the the other thing that I I wanted to raise about this game and maybe we should raise about going forward but um, how good has that Brandon Cooks trade been for New Orleans? Because they went and got Ryan Ramchick, who's been brilliant this year. Michael Thomas has, and I've been banging the Michael Thomas table for the whole season, but week in, week out, he just looks like it's better and better. It's just looked like they've, they've not missed him at all, and they've had a brilliant rookie class. I think, all in all, that's one of those rare trades where both sides come out of it pretty happy. Yeah, I mean, he, he hasn't been amazing for New England either. I mean, I think the jury's still out on him in terms of... The problem is... The Saints' offense, the role he was filling in the Saints' offense, they could get other guys to fill. In New England, he is the deep threat that New England has desperately needed. And I think he'll make some huge plays in the playoffs. But they've had to rely on him more recently to do a slightly different role that he's not as comfortable with. So, yeah, I think I think it has worked out for both teams. And, I mean, that, the, the draft class that the Saints put together last year is madness in terms of... I can't immediately think of a better draft class that's been more impactful in year one on a team. So they've had, I mean, they're going to be the first ever team, for my money, to have both the offensive and defensive rookies of the year on the same team. That will be the first time that's ever happened to a team. And then you've had Ryan Ramchick, who has proven to be a, a great starter. 
I'm just trying to think, is there anyone outside of that who's out? Well, Marcus Williams has been starting yeah. as well and, and been playing well and you know maybe not up to the level of those other three. It, it reminds me a little bit of what the Steelers got on, on defence with their rookie class of last season, but... It, to the not not to the same level as this from the Saints, not to the level of uh, of uh, yeah, like having the the best player on both sides of the ball uh, for uh, from a rookie perspective. Um, uh, yeah, so um, good job, guys. Well done, New Orleans. And uh, about with his fingerprints, all that is ironically um, Simon Clancy's favourite in. Um... Oh, what the hell's he called? The guy who once said that outrageous question to Des Bryant, Jeff Island. <laughs> really? Yeah, he's the. I think he's the main. Pair. I mean, obviously, he's not the GM there, but I think he is basically the guy who sets the draft board and stuff these days. So, um, yeah, Mickey Loomis is the GM, but Jeff Island is very much his right hand man. So, there, kudos. There is to him. there is still some serious risk that I may end up and Ollie and others at the NFC Championship game as well as the Super Bowl this year. Come on, New Orleans. Go get that win in Minnesota. Come on, Atlanta. Let's get a Falcons-Saints NFC Championship game uh, in New Orleans. It would be a brilliant game, and uh, I want to go back to New Orleans. And, and, I mean, listen, I'm not one of the people that will be there, so I hate you as if it happens. But also, it could massively blow up in the Saints' face, that ridiculous half-time 28-3 show, the, the Sean Payton choke and sign to... Devonta Freeman. I mean, there's a real chance for some beef in that game, but also a great season could end in pretty miserable fashion for the Saints if their biggest rivals come in on the back of some pretty outrageous hazing and win the game. That could be awesome. We'll we'll look forward to this weekend's games and see if that's going to be our pick in that direction when we get to it. But uh, that's kind of look back over those. We talked about Matt Nagy to the Bears in a bit of detail and realistically, the Bears are still a team in, in rebuilding mode, but they believe they've got their quarterback and and that's a key part of it. Terrell Austin is the new defensive coordinator at the Bengals. There was some talk about actually him still even being able to be the, the next head coach and maybe this is a hire with that in mind. Um, I still, we haven't really talked about this, but I still can't get over the Bengals keeping Marvin Lewis around. They're, but they're so, so institutionally obsessed in in. And uncomfortable, obsessed in their own people, and uncomfortable with the idea of people outside the organisation. That it's not that surprising. I mean, it's ridiculous. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's just what the Bengals are. They're a cheap organisation. They do it their way. It's never been successful to any real degree in recent times. And yeah, I mean, I absolutely could see a scenario where Terrell Austin's the head coach in waiting because. They wanted Hugh Jackson or Jay Gruden. I mean, the fact that they wanted those two guys back tells you everything you need to know about the way they do it. So they know yeah. the Bengals' way, man. They understand it. Ridiculous. Yeah, um, it's 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 stunning to be honest. It's totally ludicrous. Two final questions to you, Matt Sherry. Ask away. And I want you to make sure that your Patriots hat is firmly off when I ask this first question, because I want it from a pure neutral perspective. Because obviously your answer is going to be Patriots versus whoever, if you think of it as a fan. If you could pick an ultimate Super Bowl matchup from the teams that are still in the playoffs, who would you pick? Well, I mean, you say take your Patriots off, but if the answer to anybody's question is not Patriots Saints, then they're lying. They're lying. Breeze against Brady? I mean, who doesn't want that? I mean, it, yeah. that is the—it's it, such a great matchup in in every way as well. Because actually, it's interesting in the fact that Sean Payton is one of the few coaches who you'd think could maybe out duel Belichick as well. I think that's a great matchup. I just think it's a really great matchup. It could be high scoring. I mean, what's not to love? I do like the idea of the Vikings getting there and being the first home yeah, team that, in their home stadium. That—that that is the. That is the other one. But listen, I mean, I think the Patriots or the Steelers are both really interesting out of the AFC. And I think I think those four teams are interesting. I mean, I think the Falcons is interesting if it's against the Patriots because a rematch of of that, given the way it ended, would, would certainly be 
be worth watching. But I, th- I think the Saints Patriots is absolutely number one, and I'm sure it's number one on your list. Uh, of course, just as we've gone to finish the podcast, the cat has moved off my lap. Hashtag catwatch, and onto the top of the sofa. Sensational mm, little bastard. Um, yeah, I mean, I like the thing is, I like the Saints Patriots is my number one neutral. But if I'm taking the Vikings, I kind of want to see that Vikings defense go up against the the triple Bs, Ben Bell Brown. Um, that would be, I think that would be a really exciting matchup to see. I'm kind of, I, I, I start to get micro with it and start to look at unit on unit rather than story yeah. at that point. That's the problem. Um, Saints Steelers actually works for me as well. That would, but that could be yeah. just a silly, fun matchup that just gets ridiculously high scoring and you know both coaches. Uh, are not the most likable of people and have the tendency to go for ridiculous play calling in ridiculous moments, but that could lead to some really fun moments. I think there are some really fun Super Bowl matchups potentially set up from these games that are left. I mean, I mean, of course, the ultimate defense fest of the Jaguars against the Vikings. Oh, a little bit of a 10-3 action again. That could be cool in its own way. But um, yeah, I think, I think, Listen, I, I, I need to stop saying listen, first of all. I'm s- <laughs> listen, I have heard myself you, say you that like too a, many you, times. You like a listen and you like a, um, oh, what's the other one? Uh, there was oh, a, there's another one me and Ollie noticed that we really like. I can't think what it is now. Carry on. I hate verbal ticks. Um, they tick me off. But um, yeah, I, I just think that, that matchup is, it's amazing. Oh, it's so exciting, man. I'd love it. I also think the Patriots are pretty well matched to beat the Saints, so that might be part of it. But just from a from a neutral perspective as well, I think that's the best matchup. And finally, how good was the college championship game? Oh, uh-huh. yeah, uh-huh. it was that good. Uh-huh. What a what a run we're on, by the way. I think is it the last four? Oh, it's been insane. They've just uh, been so good. Florida State, Auburn, the two, Bama, Clemson, and now this. Unbelievable! Nick Saban, and, and, a sixth title for him. There is what, still a, gonna, what a what a ball! And I mean, honestly, how good would have Simon Clancy should have been crying watching that game yesterday because they had Nick Saban in that building. He is such an amazing coach. How many coaches make that decision to bench Jalen Hurts at halftime? Yeah, unbelievable! And and the guy who came in, whose name I'm going to struggle to pronounce. Uh, Two true freshmen going head to head because actually, yes, you had the uh, you had the the guy coming in and doing a phenomenal second half job. But how good it was from throughout um, the the rainbow pass for the touchdown that put them twenty seven up was just unbelievable. Fifty five yards in the air uh, for that long eighty eighty five yard touchdown. Uh, it was a brilliant, brilliant game of football. It's interesting that there will be always people who look at Nick Saban and say, um, and say if he doesn't do it in the NFL, I don't rank him with the best coaches of all time. I wonder if there is a job out there that could tempt him back, if not this year, then in the next two or three years. We talked about the idea of Nick Saban at the Packers with Aaron Rodgers. It should happen, shouldn't it? How good would it be if Nick Saban went to the Packers? Yeah. Oh. Even you'd root for the Packers at that point, it, no matter how uh, how much it would give Ollie I'd, the power. I'd, I'd, I'd tell you, I'll tell you what I would root for. Nick Saban against Bill Belichick, Tom Brady against Aaron Rodgers. Let's make that happen next season. Super Bowl 53. I mean, I'm oh not... Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm not sure we have that much sway over it. But if we did, then <laughs> that would be... If we want to talk about ultimate Super Bowl matchups, 100%. Oh. It wouldn't get better. It doesn't get better. I mean, uh, one thing that Simon pointed out on our group about this game, and I mean, we don't want to go too far into it because I'm not sure how much people love college football, but Alabama brought a load of tr- true freshmen into this game in the second half, effectively. It was the number one r- rated quarterback from the season before, or certainly dual threat, the number one overall prospect at running back, the best high school lineman in America at left tackle, and then a guy called Jerry Judy, who he has said, and based on what I've seen, is the next Julio Jones. Ridiculous. That was that was what was on their bench and what won them the national championship. Oh. Incredible. Oh. And you can read you can read all about that kid from Hawaii who came in a quarterback in the next issue of Gridiron as well. Well, there you go. 
all the more reason to subscribe. We haven't talked about the party. We've been here for yeah. 50 minutes and not talked about the party. That's dreadful. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be amazing. It's free, thanks to Red Zone Sports, who both are sponsoring this party and also on the next magazine, are sponsoring a 20-page pullout for the Super Bowl itself. So the next magazine has got a load of cool Super Bowl content about historical Super Bowls. We've got uh, interviews with referees on refereeing a Super Bowl. We got interviews of people who were at the Ice Bowl, which is now 50 years ago. We got some cool stuff, plus a 20-page pullout on the game itself. So there's another reason to subscribe. It's very exciting putting that together at the minute. But yeah, if you want to watch the game, you're going to be in London. Get to our party. Bloomsbury Bowl and learn sign up on our website it's free just need a name and an email address which will then also enter you into all of our competitions Woo! <laughs> not a bad one not a bad one interesting uh, development with the Packers right now by the way um, Elliot Wolf is apparently weighing up an offer from Brian Gutekunz, uh to stay which means quality art by the way um to stay with the team, but could end up with the Browns and John Dorsey. John Dorsey, and then he gets Elliot Wolf in as well. I might start to feel positive about the Browns going forwards. Yeah, but I'm never doing that again. So <laughs> They might lure me in once more, drag me back kicking and screaming to believing <laughs> that maybe they can be relevant. I've had a, I had a piece, a, a, an interview with Sashi Brown, um, and a piece readied on Brown and Deep Podesta for the post-Super Bowl issue, which is usually a free agency issue, but this year we're doing something different with it. And I had to can it. Another reason to be frustrated with the Browns. <laughs> it's not quite the same as that time where you had written a third to two-thirds of a piece about uh, Thomas Dimitrov halfway through a Super Bowl and had to scrap it. <laughs> Listen, that was the best canon of a piece in my entire life. I love that one. I also, <laughs> the year before, had written a, about 2,000 words on a Cam Newton piece that got scrapped. And I've deleted them. I, I should have kept them. I should have kept these pieces to kind of look back on what might have been. On what might have been. There you go. Feeling a little bit uh, philosophical this evening, Matt Sherry. Um, Sherry, always a pleasure. Enjoy, Absolutely. Enjoy uh, this weekend. I'm sure we'll be talking plenty over it. Oh, no, we're talking later this week. What day is it? What am, uh, why am I getting so ahead of myself? Um, is, it, is, it, is, it, is it? No, it's Tuesday today, isn't it? Yeah, on Thursday, I'm going to be um, at... Um, uh, I'm going to be at the game on uh, at the game at the announcement on Thursday. So look out for us live tweeting it. Look out for interviews with all those big names, and look out for uh, a podcast relating to that and previewing the games this weekend. Um, and uh, yeah, that'll be a bit later this week. And in the meantime, go and sign up for the Gridiron Party because it's going to be awesome. And it, the thing is, we've always been able to put on the best party we can because you know we've still had to consider keeping it as cheap as possible, making sure everyone had a good time. But this year, with a full sponsor backing it, it's going to be cheerleaders, there's going to be prizes, there's going to be... It's going to be awesome. Be a pong, I think. I mean, listen. I've said listen again, but ultimately... Listen. There's going to be, there's going to be so much stuff that I couldn't even tell you about now because we're, we're, we're coming up with new ideas all the time. And, and yeah, it's going, to be, it's going to be awesome. And hopefully... We might also play on the screens a little pre-game gridiron show in video that we record on Radio Row. Oh, I forgot That's we were doing that. That's certainly the plan. Ugh. That's exciting. Such a such a busy week. <laughs> the gridiron, the gridiron pre-game show, man. Oh, well, I'm going to have to get camera ready. Yeah, I mean, there's there's certain things that me and you just can't do in that period, will to sort ourselves out. So we are we are who we are. Do you know what we haven't talked about? Are you still losing work, Will? Uh, I, I have maintained. I'm back on it now, but I uh, did oh. not have a good Christmas. Uh, yeah. But, you know, it's coming back. It's happening. Um, we haven't talked about Pink either. Yeah, we haven't. Big, big fan of that. Not going to lie. Yeah, I am as well. It's a really interesting one. And one that I'm more excited about than, than, than most previous years. Yeah. But that's that's the last thing. We don't right. need to talk uh, about it in any more depth. We can, we for can the move on. For the first time in probably 10 years, I've listened to a song 
probably within a month of it coming out. And you can tell me it might be six months. Usually it's two years when I caught on to a song. But Justin Timberlake's new song is absolutely terrible. Oh, my God, you're an idiot. It's awful. It's the, the one where... It, it's the best thing he's released in five years. The one where he's in that bizarre conference. Crap. Oh, it's so good. It's, I might listen. I might we are, are going to be we are going to be listening to that a lot while we're at the Super Bowl, mate. Because yeah, it's, uh, I think it's stonking. It, it, I, it I, needs to, it needs to grow on me. I've only listened to the first minute and a half, and I was like, "This is awful." Filthy that one, or something. It's called. It's it's like really dirty electro funk. Hated it. Oh, I love it so much. It's it's so my wheelhouse. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I think Clancy will love it as well. He was once telling me about like some kind of electronic music it reminded me of a bar once when in austin where I, it was like i'd checked into some kind of spaceship in the 1960s Bizarre. I, I am a really big fan of when you start talking like you're at least 40 years older than you actually are <laughs> listen <laughs> it happens listen with again. stunning listen, regularity listen, listen. <laughs> i am um, both a self-parody in terms of saying listen at the moment <laughs> and the self-parody of myself who is a 69-year-old trapped in a 20, 20, uh, how old am I? 26 or 27? What? No one even knows 20, 26-year-old's body. I think I'm 26. Mate, yeah, I'm 26. You've, you've done great work, buddy. Have, <laughs> enjoy your evening. Go and spend some time with your child. Uh, I'm going to start out posting this podcast and then have a big long sleep before I start measuring up for beds and stuff. Uh, uh, if you want to get in touch, Stuart, oh, what noise was that? I don't even know. If you want to, <laughs> if you if you want to get in touch, find us at Gridiron on Twitter. Go to gridironhyphenmagazine.com and get signed up to come to the party because it's going to be brilliant. Uh, and don't forget, if you want to go watch some playoff football, some Super Bowl football, or you're starting to think about planning trips for next year and you want to register your interest nice and early so that when the schedule comes out, Ben can be right on top of you then get in touch with Ben Mortimer at Touchdown Trips because they are getting you, yes, you, in the game. Sherry, any final thoughts? Can't wait for the rest of the week. It's an exciting one. It's a great week. It's a great week. All right, buddy, I will catch you later. Thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been The Gridiron Show. Hey guys, it's Devon Sam here from LucasAid Sports Podcast, running the show. Check out this week's episode where we get to meet the one and only Anthony Joshua. Oh my goodness, do you think he wants to be friends with us now? Uh, yeah, mate, he, he told me that he wants to link up and have a bit of sparring. Yeah, sure he did. So head to all your podcast providers and click subscribe now. Also get in touch with us at Sport using the hashtag running the show. You will not regret it.